Hey, welcome back. This is Modern Business Podcast, the podcast for franchise entrepreneurs and franchise entrepreneurs. We are on day, what, 14? No, day seven. Day day number eight. Day number eight. guessing. Okay, that's actually a joke. That's what happens when we spend time in Vegas for too long. Yeah, it it was, so we had a good weekend. Uh, We got to get some relaxing time. We uh, hit the pool, although we didn't get a ton of sun. I'm actually proud of us for not having a sunburn. Well, thanks to Tom Epstein of uh, FPN and Pollinate fame. Yeah, shout out to Tom. We did not need need, uh, to be in the sun. He got us a nice cabana, so we're in the shade with the misters, even though it was 116. And fun fact from the weekend... They said, what was it that the guy said? He said it was the most crowded weekend that they had had aside from the McGregor Mayweather fight. And this is like ever, yeah, which is like at the that. pool. I think collectively it was at the pools. Yeah. But at any rate, we uh, were very much enjoying being on this tour. And uh, we are very much also looking forward to today's uh, interview. Uh, we have 10 this week. Is that what we have? We have 10 this week. Yeah. 10 and 10 great folks. And we're hitting lead off with, uh, with one of the best. Uh, I have a ton of respect for you. I think we spent some time, uh, sp- the springboard at home series. We, you came on, I think it was super early in the pandemic. So looking forward to hearing the update. Also that wasn't published to this audience. So the, this audience hasn't heard from you. Um, Zach, top of the house before we formally introduce uh, a couple things so uh, obviously we're having springboard in person speaking of springboard at home uh so that's going to be september 26th to 28th uh our next guest is obviously he, he, has, he has spent some time there uh so uh we, we have that going uh this is going to be at the w hotel and it's going to be really awesome to see people in person it's, it's like good for us because we're on the road and we're getting to see people yeah but this is one of the first conferences where things are back so it absolutely is and i have just had confirmation this morning ladies and gentlemen if you are going to the international franchise expo in new york uh, which is the 24th and 25th we are going to be taking party buses down to philadelphia from new york uh that has been confirmed to me so the 26th in the morning uh get ready for some mimosas and some bagels yeah we're gonna go ahead and give that an applause (laughs) because i like that i like the way that sounds we have that, and then additionally, we have a Young Conference, uh, which is going to be uh, October 31st and November 2nd uh, in Fort Lauderdale at the Riverside Hotel. Um, that uh, registration is not available for that quite yet, uh, but we are going to be um, getting on that probably in the next month or so. You'll be able to do that starting after July 4th. Shameless plug here. We would love to have today's guest come to Young Conference. It would be really great. Uh, but without further ado, we want to we introduce the CEO of Capriati's and Wingzone. And uh, Ashley Morris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. So just for context, um, Give the audience a little bit about your uh, backstory and the founding story of Capriati's. I think we'll start there. Sure. So, you know, first off, welcome to Vegas. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the busiest weekend we've had ever. It's it's good for uh, it's good for our economy for things to be back. And for those of you listening, come to Vegas because COVID doesn't exist here anymore. We've eradicated <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, and it's super fun. So yeah, I mean, Capriati. So I really learned about the brand. I didn't. I didn't start the brand. I learned about it uh, back in college. My best buddy, who today is the president of our company, he and I were roommates. And he, uh, I came home one day, and he said, "Hey, have you ever tried this place called Capriati's?" And I said, "No, I'd never heard of it." And he kind of puts his finger in my face. He goes, "This is the greatest sandwich you'll ever eat. You got to go get it." And so, you know, day goes by, another day goes by, and he's basically asking me on a daily basis now. Have you tried Capriati's? And I said, no, dude, I've gone to work and 
going to school. Like I got things to do at UNLV here in Las Vegas. Um, And he's like, okay, well, I'm sick of waiting for you to listen to me. I'm just going to take you there. And so off we went. And he tells me about this amazing sandwich called the Bobby. And really what it is is this homemade turkey sandwich. Basically has homemade uh, turkey, homemade stuffing, cranberry sauce, and mayo. I don't really like mayonnaise and I don't really like cranberry sauce. And so the idea of both of those on a sandwich did not seem like it was going to be the greatest sandwich I had ever eaten. But they also had a cheesesteak on the menu, and I am a huge, huge cheesesteak guy. And so, you know, growing up, I actually was born in Los Angeles, so I can't, like, say I'm from the back east or I'm from, like, you know, Chicago where they make an incredible cheesesteak. But anytime I've ever gone to those places, I seek it out. And so now I'm in Vegas thinking, okay, cheesesteak, whatever. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. I try it. And it is the greatest cheesesteak I had ever eaten at the time. And still to this day, I've everywhere I go, I seek out cheesesteaks and I still think Capriati's is the best. And so it really started with just a huge love of the food. Um, started eating there very frequently, just about every single day in college when I was able to eat a cheesesteak every day and not gain a pound. And uh, we actually moved uh, a little bit farther from school, but we broke the lease in our apartment. We moved to another uh, apartment complex in Vegas that was touching a Capriati's. And so now I could walk there. And so after a couple of beers, I could also have a cheesesteak, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. And so again, uh, background is in finance. I finished school. I become a portfolio manager for Wells Fargo. And I was running a large portfolio for the bank and equity portfolio. But I'm still eating at this place every single day. And it just felt it just felt to me like I had to be involved in the company in some way. And so, you know, my, I talked to my buddy, I said, Hey, you know, what do you think? Let's get in business together on kind of a side hustle to start. We both decided very quickly Capriati's was the side hustle. And so we went after a franchise and became franchisees. And so one franchise quickly turned into two, two turned into three. And at three, I just felt kind of my passion pendulum move from the equities market right into this business. I found myself sitting in my office when I'm you know, supposed to be researching stocks and I'm building pricing models and, and labor matrices and food cost modeling systems. And I'm just doing everything for this brand. And I just love it. And I'm even there after work, you know, working behind the counter and, and just being involved in the brand. And so I just realized I kind of got introspective and said, really, what do, what do I really want out of life? I'm young. I was in my early 20s. So I realized that I could, you know, I probably had some flexibility in terms of what I wanted to do for a career. And, you know, these sandwich shops were making like 30%, 35%, you know, cash on cash return. And, you know, I was priding myself to my clients trying to make them seven to 10% in the equities market, right? And so it just felt to me like I maybe was in the wrong business. And so when that happened, I went back to the founder and just kind of told her, hey, what I really want to do is buy a state, buy a territory, and I'll just go build 30 of these things. At the time, the brand only had about 30 restaurants operating. And so the idea of the founder letting and, and I can only imagine, you know, it's funny, I've told this story a lot of times, but I look back and I think, gosh, why wouldn't she have sold me a territory? And then I think about the 25 year old Ashley, who always was probably bugging her about everything. <laughs> right. Like, I want more marketing and I want this and I want that and I want this. And so probably she thought that would be a huge headache. And finally, I just got sick of hearing the word no. And said, look, if you won't sell me a territory, let me put a group together and buy the whole brand. And so we put a deal together early in 20, uh, 2007, and we wound up making the acquisition at the end of 07, just around the corner of 2008, which, by the way, was a perfect time to, you know, buy a whole company and then have the world end on you three <laughs> yeah. months later. But, you know, hey, it worked out. So that's really how it happened. Um, it was uh, it was I was a passionate, passionate 
customer and uh, turn into the franchisor. Yeah. And so you live through that and the, the brand has so much respect and I haven't, I, I think I've eaten there once and uh, I should probably frequent it more. And I think we should go get lunch. I think that that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, but you went idea. through that and then we just lived through this crazy pandemic. And so, you know, you've been through a lot, um, but you guys, you know, between 2007 and today, You've expanded the footprint. You've added on another brand. So just briefly kind of explain the state of the union today in terms of your brands and where you're where you're sitting and kind of how you've come out of the pandemic. Yeah, sure. So, you know, kind of uh, kind of the good news, bad news. When we bought the company, the company was it had no infrastructure. I mean, literally, when I say no infrastructure, the corporate office was the owner's living room table. And and, you know, so that on one hand was was bad but on the other hand it was really good because we were able to kind of build a company from the ground up and so we had bought this operating company that had 30 plus restaurants in the system and we we opted not to just immediately go out and grow uh both for the obvious reason if we had no infrastructure but secondly you know there was a financial crisis and no one was getting capital so it worked out where we said let's just spend the next five years and just build the best infrastructure we could and so we became students of franchising uh, you know, we, we, we absorbed everything we could in all the conferences you guys talk about. You know, the IFA was tremendous and instrumental for us because we really had no knowledge of what we were doing. And as we, you know, went down that drive to really build the best company, the one thing we were highly focused on were people. Um, we believe that people make the difference for sure. And so, you know, we, we, we put together our values. We got very clear on our mission. We got very clear on our, our vision and we built an infrastructure. And after those five years, uh, we got to a point where, you know, we could support a hundred store brand. We then said, okay, it's time for us to start growing. And so with that, uh, I think, you know, it taught us something that we probably would never have learned had we bought into something that was operating, that had a bunch of people that kind of had its own way of life, it had its own mission, it had its own values and vision. And so we got to kind of create that. And so, you know, looking at the pandemic, which I'll tie into, it really, you know, we didn't realize at the time, you know, what we were learning. We were just trying to make this thing work, right? And so we went out, we raised more capital at that point in time, and we took the infrastructure from where it was to where it is today, which was a significant level higher. So we put some mentors around our business. Uh, we took some growth capital and we went in and we changed our senior leadership team to really <clears throat> superstars, significant superstars who then helped us take the company and put it on a trajectory to grow. You know, so the last five years, we've really been building the pipeline. We've started to, you know, really get some traction. We're now about 135 restaurants in Capriati's, uh, about 70 in Wing Zone. Um, obviously, that was through acquisition, but we have about 250 Capriati's in development. And so, you know, we've kind of hit that J curve where now we're opening restaurants on a, you know, weekly basis. So um, in doing that, you know, one of the things I remember in my capital raising initially and my capital raising the second time around, I had this, uh, I, I used to say this company has been here since 1976. So it's been through wars, it's been through recessions, it's been through economic uh, expansions, and it's survived the test of time. And, and so, you know, there's a reason for this brand to be here. There's a reason for Capriati's to exist. And so I said that many times along my journey. And never thought that I would ever have to like actually back that up with anything other than yeah. I just thought 
yeah. that it was true. But I just, you know, you never, you, you never think you're going to have to prove that again. And and getting into COVID, I remember, you know, right when it when it became real to me was probably the end of February. And and, you know, Jason, my partner, was telling me months before, like, hey, this is real. This is coming and this is this is catastrophic. And I was thinking, well, it can't possibly be that bad. And it went from, you know, zero to 100 as fast as it did. And before you know it, you know, the governors were shutting markets down across the country. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, wow, the universe is finally going to make me prove you know, my big mouth, it's going to make me prove <laughs> that Capriati's can't survive. And, and so we, you know, we went into COVID with just open eyes and a set of, we have incredible people. Let's, let's take our people. Let's all work together. Let's group think this thing and let's figure out how to win here. And fortunately, you know, we were one of the, we were one of the brands that were able to actually, you know, succeed, not only, you know, you know, not only survive, but actually succeed and thrive through COVID. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that we are in quick service, right? Um, we were omni-channel. And so we already had commitments to the technology, to the off-premise stuff. So it wasn't us scrambling to go out and figure that out. You know, we probably lost 15% of the system overnight due to closure, forced closures that we just couldn't open. But the other 85%, um, you know, we saw the same decline in sales. We, we went from, you know, this week of positive 9, 10% down to minus 40. And we saw that for a couple of months. And as we sat around, we did this cash flow, kind of did a cash flow, you know, analysis. Okay, hey, what if we have to, you know, go to here? What if no one pays royalties? What mm-hmm. if what if we don't have any revenue? How long can we survive? And so we, we kind of looked at it and went, we raised capital in nine months for a running out of capital in 12, right? So we have to like immediately start raising capital because in nine months from now, we're basically out of cash. And through that, we all kind of sat around the table and thought, well, before we do that, before we kind of you know hide, what if we ran headfirst into this thing and we launched an advertising campaign that is so outsized it's so outsized to anything we've ever done because the brand isn't that big right so the brand really has a very nom a very marginal marketing fund what if we put our own money to it and so you know we all kind of got together and said let's try this and so we we launched a quarter million dollar advertising campaign in las vegas and we spent it in 10 days wow so if you think about what that really means and i know that probably doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of big brands who have lots of millions of dollars but a two hundred fifty thousand dollars spent in a local market in 10 days is it's everywhere i mean you might as well just fly a blimp over the town and have everyone see your brand and so you know everyone had pulled their advertising and so the 250 probably spent like 500 mm-hmm. and we were on every channel i mean sometimes you'd watch tv and it'd say capriati's and go back to back with two commercials or three commercials because there wasn't anything anybody so else you, really doing you leaned into tv were you doing tv prior to that or that no you no. just saw the opportunity yeah historically yeah. we we really haven't been on tv other than you know maybe putting a commercial in between a hockey game or putting yeah. a commercial in between you know some bowl game or something just to see what happens but we dove after it and just thought okay well if we have to raise capital in nine months well now we'll just raise capital in six months right if it doesn't work but if it does work how cool would that be and so it actually really paid dividends. We went, we probably saw two weeks of negative 40% sales and two weeks later we were comping ahead of our year over year sales. So we literally saw this V-shaped recovery in the market and then took it and went across the country with it. 
Right. So we went to our next biggest market and then we kind of went through the Midwest and we just basically said, we're going to just finance our franchisees with this capital because we we know, A, we'll preserve the brand, which is obviously the most important. B, it'll keep everybody you know afloat and, and C, it will work. And it did. And it really did work. And so that was probably, you know, by far, that was the best decision we ever, we, we had made through the pandemic. And, you know, once you kind of, once we kind of saw those numbers and we kind of saw the 85% of the chain that was actually, you know, still allowed to operate, operating and sustaining sales, it was kind of that sigh of relief that, ah, okay, we're going to be okay. Now let's figure out how to win. And so we kind of all went back into our workshop again and I, you know, challenged the team. I said, look, okay, we're going to survive. Now let's, let's, you know, our, our, our first value is passion and the way we define it is to be the best. Like I wake up every day and I want to be the best at whatever it is I do, whether it's running a company or being a dad or playing a sport, like it doesn't matter. I'm highly competitive and my senior leadership team and and most people who work here are also that. And so sitting around the table very quickly, like, okay, COVID's here and it exists and we're going to survive. Surviving is not exciting, but let's figure out how to do something extraordinary through this time. And so we all kind of sat around the table and thought, well, one of the things we can do is we can look for other brands that are on trend, that maybe have a founder like similar story to how Capriati's was. And the founder maybe is thinking it's time to go. We have this great infrastructure. We are not going to have to raise capital to survive, but we can raise capital to to buy a company. Let's see what we can do. And so I kind of went on this, you know, just drive to find that. And uh, and we found that in WingZone. And so basically, uh, you know, we as we were as we were calling all the people we knew in the industry, trying to see, you know, who was interested, we found this great brand. And honestly, we, we did char- target chicken, um, not wings specifically. But obviously, you know, we started this drive uh, about a year ago now, probably May of last year. And so th- we didn't realize how big the ch- the chicken wing, you know, trend was going to be at that time. But it was on a micro level there. But really what we cared about was to be on trend in terms of chicken because we, we saw so much momentum there. Uh, we also looked at the Mediterranean space, but we landed more in quick service chicken. And so when we, we were able to uh, sit down with the founders, Matt and Adam, of Wing Zone and talk to them and they had, you know, they've been doing it 28 years. They were ready for, you know, kind of, you know, their next life's things and and it worked out so we were able to put a deal together and and buy wing zone and what was great about it and what kind of proved our thesis a it was in the space that we wanted to be in b it was quick service but c they were experiencing same store sales increases through covid and so we also thought okay well if this brand can survive and actually grow through a pandemic where you know the the, the national economy is pretty much shut down then this is a pretty solid investment and, and so we looked at it and we thought, where can we add value? And I think the two biggest pieces that, that they were lacking was it was a great team and capital. And so that's what we you know bring to the table. And now it's our turn to uh, take the torch and turn Wing Zone into what it deserves to be, which is a national, you know, probably not number one at this point, but for sure the undisputed number two QSR wing brand in the industry, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, I think it kind of building on that. You know, you guys have a lot of differentiation points in addition to, you know, what you guys have as a team, because, you know, clearly your team is incredibly experienced and has been around, you know, they have even been mentioned in other interviews that we've had on the tour already. Um, you know, we we had uh, we had Neil Courtney on the podcast uh, last week and he mentioned David uh, by name and said he's like he's a superstar, like and, and said that. So D- David Bloom is is by far, in my opinion, 
he's the best at franchise development, period. There isn't anybody better. Yeah, he's a machine. And, and sh- shout out to David. He's getting all sorts of kudos on Rock this podcast star. this week, huh? But, you know, I, I, I am kind of curious. In addition to the team here, you know, what are some of the differentiation points that you guys are seeing um, as it relates to, you know, Wing Zone and Capriati's? I know that they are markets that are both crowded, uh, as, but I think that you guys have definitely carved out a really awesome, you know, niche for yourselves within both of those markets. Yeah. And I, I would agree that the sandwich market is crowded. There's no question about that. We have we have 75 real franchise partners right now looking for real estate. And so you would think when you have 75 different markets trying to be grown at the same time that you would have traction, be able to build 50 to 60 to 70 restaurants a year. And the reality is there is a sub shop just about on every corner in every market in America. And so finding the right real estate, yeah, we could go out and find bad real estate. That's no problem. But finding the right real estate for Capriati's is actually quite difficult. And because the product, you know, we haven't really talked about it. I know, Zach, you you know, and you guys know for sure what we are. and You've eaten there before. But for those who haven't, I mean, the difference between Capriati's and every other sandwich shop is, in fact, that it's a restaurant. It's not a put together assembly sandwich. We actually make everything in house, right? So when you eat turkey, you're eating a whole 24 pound butter ball, slow cooked for 12 hour turkey that we pull off the bones every morning. Our beefs are made in house, our meatballs are rolled in house, our vegetables are chopped fresh daily, our bread is made and brought to us locally every single day. What's not used is thrown away. And so it really is more of this. you know, fine dining is not the word, but it's this more culinary experience. It's more of a restaurant than it is a QSR assembly line. And so with that, you know, besides the complexity, we also skew to, uh, you know, a, 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 a customer that is willing to pay a little bit more for extraordinary quality, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, we don't really compete with the Subways and the Jimmy Johns of the world. Um, we, we, we operate in this niche of people who wake up and they say, hey, I want to. I want Capriati's. I want an amazing sandwich today. I want my lunch to be extraordinary. And that's where we kind of fit in in that mindset. And so, you know, yes, you're right. It's totally crowded and it's difficult. And so, you know, our our solution to that problem is just continue to sell more and more deals, right? Like, let's just continue to fill the pipeline with more and more, you know, franchise partners that want to be part of the brand. And eventually growth will take care of itself um, and real estate will ultimately be found. On the wing zone side, I think it's a little bit different because it does seem crowded, but believe it or not, the reason why it's crowded is because of virtual virtual brands. You know, you have you have Dine Equity, you have Brinker, you have Darden, you have all these brands who are who are getting into, you know, the wing space. But frankly, and look, I'm not knocking anybody's product necessarily, but if anyone's tried that product, it's very mediocre. You know, they're not they're not focusing on it the way that a wing brand focuses on their food because this is an afterthought for them. You know, when their primary business is Applebee's, you know, selling a chicken wing and a, and a curly fry is really, it's just something to do while you don't have customers, right? And so they're not really committing to the quality of that food. Where we're different is we're 100% committed to the quality of that food. And so we're going to deliver a bread of product 100 times out of 100. And so if you look at the landscape, really, who do you have in the space? You have Wingstop. Right? They have about 1,500 restaurants. But besides that, you really don't have a lot of brick and mortar wing places that are executing. And so um, I think the wave is great. And I think it, it's great that you think it sounds crowded because that means that customers are really gaining um, you know, acceptance of ordering wings and fries on a, on a, you know, a regular basis, which yeah. is really good for the brand. But where we're different and where we'll go 
is brick and mortar. And so when we go out and look for, for locations for wing zone, we're actually, you know, we can put it just about anywhere so long as there's not a wing stop. Right. Yeah. And so we actually have a huge opportunity to grow a wing zone very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. And with that kind of the customer that you're targeting that you mentioned, obviously that helps the margins for the franchisees. You know, you're going after a customer that that is willing to pay a little bit more. And so that's a beautiful thing uh, as you hit the J curve, as you mentioned. I mean, you've got folks that want to reinvest and it's just about finding the the real estate to do it. Um, one question I want to ask you, kind of on the differentiation, but really from a technology standpoint, how do how do you use technology to gain an edge? And I know, you know, a lot of people's minds can we can go to the consumer side of that. A lot of brands are kind of doing some of the same things, but then there's also the team and the infrastructure. So, what comes to mind for you on the top of topic of technology and how you're using it to help your franchisees be more profitable? Sure. So, you know, I kind of look at it's a great question and I've been asked it before and I kind of break it down into a couple of ways. I think first and foremost, just talking pure tech. Right. So so before we get into that, actually, I take that back. First and foremost, talking about the mentality, a tech forward company is a tech forward company, not because it's using tech first, but because its attitude is flexibility rapid change, rapid evolution, and, and willingness to take some risk to evolve your, yourself faster than most. And, and, and so that is the mantra when you think you know, tech and you think Silicon Valley and you think, think different. You have to start with that. If you have a culture that doesn't want to move fast, if you have a culture that isn't really looking at changing too many things because of the lift that it takes to do that, you're not a tech-focused culture. And so, look, I'll be honest, it's not me that makes Capriati's and WingZone do that. Again, my partner Jason has always been this think-different tech mindset guy from the day I knew him. I mean, when I when we became friends when we were teenagers, you know, he, he wanted to actually create computer video games for a living. And his background is computer science and technology and mathematics. I mean, he's got all the brains. I'm just the mouth. But... So so in going through all this, like as he as you know, as he sees the landscape and he goes, hey, we got to be here. We got to be there. We got to be here. We got to be there. It's like the answer is always let's go. And so we've been very lucky to have this kind of forward thinking mindset since we became the franchisor. And so now, you know, I'm I was obviously 100 percent bought into it. I just don't understand the inner workings of it. And so, you know, today the technology we use is probably similar to most brands, but you know, using what's there to allow you to be omni-channel. And so, you know, I kind of said that before, and I'll say it again, like allowing a customer to be able to use their phone to place an order, allowing them to be able to use a computer, pick up the telephone if they want, like all the channels that mean something to the customer we're there for. And so from an order experience and from just a customer kind of, you know, perspective, that's where most of the tech in Capriati's really is. There's some back of the house tech, you know, for inventory management and and financial reporting and things like that from a business side of it that we use. Um, But for the most part, it's just being being ready that as you know, kind of new technology is put into our industry to be able to go out there and be an early adopter of it and then and then implement it into your franchise system, which excuse me, can be very hard. Um, but we've spent the last 10 years fostering a culture of innovation within our franchise partners as well. So we talk about it as a lot uh, in our webinars and in our communication. And so our franchise partners know 
that their business is constantly going to be changing. It's going to constantly be evolving. But we do so, you know, we still being franchisees first and a franchisor second, like obviously for us, profitability in the four wall box economic model is paramount. Mm -hmm. And so we never do anything that isn't, you know, going to improve that model. Like, you know, putting tech in just to have it because it's cool is is not something we're interested in. It has to actually have a, a, a return on investment, right? And so that's, you know, kind of the philosophy we have. Now, Wing Zone is a little bit different. So Wing Zone, we're even going to be way more tech focused. In fact, um, we will we, we are testing right now automation in the back of the house. And so we do have uh, in the next 30 days, we will have a restaurant that has, uh, you know, basically a, an autonomous fryer that will do. It's really cool stuff that will basically fry the food for us. It will distribute the food into a hopper. It's 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 kind of. It's kind of 2.0 right now. I'm really excited when it's going to be end to end and be like 4.0. But but we are testing some pretty awesome automation. Uh, Wingzone will probably roll out in the next probably starting in about six months. It'll probably roll out its restaurants cashier list. Um, so it's really going to be tech focused. It's really going to be bleeding edge uh, with respect to some of those things. And the reality of the situation is, is, you know, I do think what COVID has kind of taught the general public is that, you know, you can utilize brands without being being inside of the restaurant, a quick service brand, right? Without being inside of the restaurant. If your brand is not something that is is the, the coolness is the experience, right? Then then really what you're doing is providing delicious food fast and and providing it easy and convenient, right? And that's the space we live in. And so in that space we're we're, we're we aim to make our brand as tech forward and convenient as possible. So there's going to be some really cool stuff happening at Wing Zone. Very cool. I didn't need, and, and I and I try to keep abreast of what's going on with you guys, but I didn't even know about the. Autonomous. I just broke the news here. Oh wow! You've heard it here first. Yes. I don't know what which sound effect I should know, we, we do. We, we, uh, well, we'll give it that. Yeah. Or like, we, we can bust for release. Oh no. That's the breaking news thing. I yeah, mean, we we've just we been we've been playing around with it, but I love it. That's very very cool. Um, you know, I and, and I know that in addition to the technology that you guys have, you know, you do pride yourselves for both brands as being, as you said, you know, they, your people are willing to pay a little bit extra for, you know, really what your brands provide, which is food that is restaurant quality, as we're calling it, right, as opposed to, you know, assembly line quality. So kind of in line with that. I have to imagine that based off of some of the consumer trends that were going on with COVID, in addition to kind of changing the way that you're delivering everything, you know, menu innovation was probably paramount to how you guys were breaking through. And so talk a bit about some of the ways that you guys created some buzz with some of the menu innovation that you had during COVID that, you know, really helped to, you know, set yourselves apart. Sure. <clears throat> so that was an interesting thing that we have this, <clears throat> what we call an innovation pipeline. Mm-hmm. It's both for our food and it's both for the brand. And so we look, we kind of look down and we kind of say, what can we do to continue to improve the food? And so at Capriati's, again, the mantra is it doesn't matter what you order, right? This is this is culinary focused, right? You can go down the menu, not just order the top three things that most people order, but the top three do make up, you know, 70% of the menu mix. But you can go through and you can order any sandwich on the menu and every single one of them is carefully crafted, carefully thought out, and it's delicious, right? And so um, it's probably one of my favorite things is is watching people who go, yeah, I love Capriati's. Well, what have you had? I've had the Bobby. Okay, great. All right, that's the most famous sandwich. That's their superstar. Go try 
the Italian sausage. Go try the chicken cheesesteak. Go try the grilled Italian. Go try the tuna. Like go try things that you just look at and go, that's probably just going to taste the way I think it's going to taste. And then they try those things and they're like, man, some of these are better than the Bobby. And I go, yeah, I know. And and they're like deep. They're, they're sandwich 18, 19 on the menu that most people try and they're just as good. And so when we were looking at this innovation pipeline, we're always looking to improve it. And we're always looking to take each individual sandwich and make it better. If we can improve the quality, great. If we can't improve the quality, how can we make it better? And if we can't really make it better based on customer feedback, you know, we, we obviously measure this kind of stuff, then 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 we move on to the next one. And so one of the things that that we thought we could at at the time we had our roast beef and our and our beef subs, not the cheesesteak, we use choice top round. And so literally, you know, we have no ingredient list on it. It's literally top round beef that's choice quality. And so, yeah, we could get to prime and we've experienced we've we've kind of played with prime, but it it really didn't change kind of the flavor profile of the sandwich. And so for the last couple of years, obviously, you know, Wagyu has kind of made its entree into Mm -hmm. the scene. And it's kind of this thing that, you know, now the best quality meat is this Wagyu. And I guess if you go right to the top, you have this Japanese A5 Wagyu, right, that costs a zillion dollars an ounce. And, you know, it's like this white marbly chunk of, of meat. But you also have American Wagyu. And so, you know, in looking at that, that which is really, you know, basically the highest quality meat made in America. Mm -hmm. And so we went after it and we thought, what if we changed our beef to American Wagyu? And so we started to research that and we found who who has the highest quality Wagyu. And so we found Snake River Farms, which Thomas Keller put on the map, obviously, at his French Laundry Michelin Star Rated Restaurant. He goes out, curates his his food from there. And these guys have just an unbelievable – they're just a class act and their operations are – they're incredible. And so we went and formed a partnership with them. And as we were doing that, uh, COVID kind of hit. And so it was one of those things where we had gone through all this testing and we had done all the things to really change our roast beef to this American Snake River Farms Wagyu roast beef. And we were super excited about it. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're in COVID land. And so, again, in thinking about that advertising you know, campaign that I, I, I told you guys about, we thought, you know what, let's just pretend COVID doesn't exist and let's just keep driving forward. And it was really hard to do. I mean, obviously, you know, the, you know half the team is like, well, I don't know, you know, the other half. And then we finally all get in alignment and think, OK, let's just do it. What's the worst that can happen? And so we rolled it out right in the middle of COVID and we took our advertising dollars and we used this additionally. You know, first it was, you know, here are all the ways that you can use Capriati's omnichannel and we're safe and we're, you know, we'll deliver to you and all those things. And then we quickly evolved the messaging into. And by the way. We now have Snake River Farms Wagyu. And so we changed the product right in the middle of it. And it was a huge menu mix item anyways. The roast beef sub, is, is it was really used for three sandwiches. And now we have these three sandwiches that are now Snake River Farms Wagyu, one of them being a cheesesteak. So you can actually come in and get your regular Capriati cheesesteak, which is the choice uh, top round, or you can get a Snake River Farms Wagyu cheesesteak, which, by the way, both of you guys are going to have for lunch today, I promise. And it is... Decadent. I have it's had amazing. It oh, okay. I tried it. I ordered it after I heard about this. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I mean, you can cut this cheesesteak with a fork. It's it's unbelievable. It's a- I can't even, I mean, I can't even describe it to you. Like I it, it just blew my mind when I had it. And I thought, man, I loved our cheesesteak and still do, but 
for like the last year, all I order is the Wagyu cheesesteak. <laughs> I just can't get away from it. Um, but so we launched it and we just said, let's see what happens. And it was it was a huge success. Um, I think, again, this is just a testament to what Capriati's does. And so it's super interesting, right, because we just commit to that and we just figure out how to make it work within our model. And so the food really drives the franchise in Capriati's. I love it. And for the folks in the audience, you can't see Zach's face. He got so happy when he just heard that. I, was, I couldn't wait I, to tell I, Ashley I just, about that. I find, it, I find it fascinating and awesome. Like when I asked you the technology company or technology question, you immediately went to really the mindset and the philosophy behind it. And then you went into it and, 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 you know, what I'm hearing from you is you just have this bold mindset. It's like you were going right when everyone else was going left with uh, the uncertainty of the pandemic and leaning into this advertising campaign and kind of a new strategy for you guys. Cause you saw opportunity and you took it and the same thing, you know, you were working on this project there's a lot of unknowns and you just leaned into it. And so, um, you know, I think, I would ask you to expand upon that. And then I have the other question that I wanted to ask, but just on the mindset of just like giving advice to a lot of folks that are emerging brands, listen to this folks in industries, and maybe there's some fear and angst and they don't really know what to do with budgets and this and that and the other, but just kind of speak from a macro level on just mindset of, of an entrepreneur and give a quick word of advice and pep talk. Sure. So look, I, I, when you're an entrepreneur and you're the CEO and or the you know major shareholder or owner and you have pretty much everything to lose, it's very difficult. It can be very difficult. And certainly for me, I'll speak for my, it was very difficult for me uh, to to create, you know, to create support. You know, it's 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 kind of like, you know, in every other job I've ever had, there was a manager. There was somebody there who knew the system better than me, who could help me. And now, you know, early on, again, I was in my early 20s, mid 20s when we bought this company, it was, I didn't have that. And fortunately, when I was raising capital, the first, you know, true business mentor in my life was someone, his name is George Chanos. And he, he and I were introduced in my capital raise to buy Capriati's. And ultimately, we made a deal for him to become a partner of ours. And he sits on our board as chairman. And um, it was it was right after we bought the company in 08. You know, again, we, we three months in, we had this financial crisis. And of course, he and I are talking every day. And in me talking to him, he gave me one piece of advice that resonated and stuck. I mean, it just went in and it was such a departure from what my personality was. I'm a defensive person. I'm not an offensive person. When I play sports, I tend to be on defense. I'm just not that aggressive when it comes to those kinds of things. But George, he was the opposite. He was an offensive player. And he said to me when I was you know, probably in some kind of breakdown or in some kind of way trying to navigate the financial crisis of 08, he said, run head first into your problems. Don't run away from your problems. Don't shy away from your problems. They are your problems. They are real. And the second you identify there's a problem, stop what you're doing and go run headfirst into it until you solve it. If you do that, you will save time, you will save money, and you will solve problems. Other than that, every other thing you do, when there's a big problem in the room and you're trying to avoid it, you're, you're, you are wasting time and money and energy. And ultimately, that problem will get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually that problem beats you. And, and that was probably, at that time, he's given me 
tremendous advice through the last 12 years. But at that time, that was the greatest thing I could have heard. And it stuck with me. And it literally stuck with me to the point of when we were talking about you know, COVID and we were talking about the advertising, literally in the back of my mind is George saying, run headfirst into your problems. And so, and so that to me, like it, it was just monumental and it, and it's worked by the way, you know, I got the message loud and clear and it's worked every single time I've done it. You know, it's not easy, you know, no one wants problems, but they exist. That's, you know, ideally when you get to a level at which you're the CEO of the company and you build a good infrastructure, the things that get to you are either really, really, really good or really, really, really bad, right? Like, I mean, it's not just day-to-day because day-to-day is running by your team. And so when that happens and things are really good, that's great. But when things bubble up, it's like, hey, we need you. That's because we're, you know, the team is looking for support to solve that problem. And so my directive to them has always been and will always be, the second we have an issue, let's run head first at solving it, right? Let's just go figure it out and let's solve it. And let's not be afraid. The worst we can do is not solve the problem and then we go try to solve it a different way, right? And and the absolute worst it could do is cost money. But if you're focused and you're diligent on that problem, the reality is you're probably going to solve it. And and you know, that's what we found has been a tremendous, you know, success metric for us. And and you know, it works. It really does. Yeah, we we have a lot of the same mentors, obviously, and I think that, you know, you've surrounded yourself with people that live by that mantra every day. And I certainly do too. You know, I'm, I, I can be accused of being a little bit um, brash and confrontational in business. I, and I think sometimes people could, could say that that is uh, just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to me. But I think that I'm always honest because I want to try and find a way to solve it quickly and efficiently instead of, you know, just trying to sit around thinking of the most uh, of the uh, of the way that is going to be. I don't know, maybe the most politically correct. I want to ensure that things are happening in the way that they should because time and money are at risk, right? And I think that that's what it's all about. There is obviously a problem that is out there that I'm sure that you're using this mantra for right now. And I know that we talked about this a bit before we got into the podcast here. And you had said that this was the biggest issue that we were running into right now. And it's in everywhere in the restaurant space. Like, but we know that. Like, if you if you look at if you look at LinkedIn along the side there, every single article is about this at the moment. Sure. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear how you guys are um, dealing with the you know the employment shortage, and if there's any ways that you guys are finding to incentivize people to get excited to come into work every day and to you know to be at a wing zone and to be at a Capriati's and to live and breathe the brand. So you know, we talked a little bit about vision, values, mission early, but we really didn't explain it. So one of the things that, you know, Capriati's and Wing Zone team are is we really are a value driven company. And so, you know, as you walk around this office, I know we've just remodeled so you don't see it, but our values are are generally in every room you go into. They're in every store. um, And we really do use them for for building our culture. You know, it's our belief that when you have value alignment within your organization, both as uh, employees and franchise partners and suppliers, that that similar minded people do similar minded things and connect and create culture. That's where culture is created. And so, you know, yeah, there's a huge problem right now, but we are not going to change the way we hire. Um, because of that problem, we are still hiring on our values. If you want to work for a company like Capriati's because you connect with the brand, because you see that, yeah, you need a job. Absolutely. You need a job, right? And you, you're going to work somewhere. But you can work at any fast food restaurant you want today. 
the reason why we keep our employees and have our employees engaged is because they take pride in the things that they're selling. You know, I used to use this early in discovery days, right when I was also, you know, wearing my franchise development hat in the very beginning. And it was like, you know, I'm sure we, we all know someone who's worked at a McDonald's or worked at a Subway or worked, you know, for fast food in their early years or when they, you know, got into high school. And the first thing they do when they walk out the door, they get in their car, they pull that uniform off, put their regular clothes on and off they go. And and when Capriati's uh, uh, literally even, you know, everyone in our office, we're wearing a Capriati shirt every day and I go into Nordstrom and I'll get stopped at Nordstrom by the people who are behind the counter saying, Hey, where's my Bobby? Hey, where's my cheesesteak? Man, I love Capriati's. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. If you're wearing the logo, you're going to get stopped in some capacity and people are going to give you some kind of positive response because they connect with the food. And so our employees connect with the fact that, yeah, they need a job, but they also want to do something that's more meaningful than just flip burgers. They want to be proud of what they what they're serving for that period of time that they're working for us. And so, you know, we we've thought about all the incentives and we've thought about doing all the things that, you know, the rest of the the, the industry is trying right now, but but that's not everyone else is doing that too, right? I mean, that's not that's not what the problem is not going to be solved by that by that. It's just not. It's going to be solved with time. And so the way that we kind of see it is, is, you know, everything ebbs and flows. And right now it's ebbing. And in six months from now, it'll probably be flowing. And at some point, you know, there'll be more workforce willing and able to, to come to work. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll find the right people to do what we need them to do. And I think that's far more important for us than, than, than the alternative. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, on the topic of franchise development, you mentioned kind of at the top of the interview that you've got a good number of units. I forget, 250 yeah, might have been what you said. Yeah, we have and, about 250 in development at Capriati's, and we probably have about 60 in the pipeline of Wing Zone right now. Got it. End of year, we'll probably have north of 100. Got it. So speak to the to the ideal candidate that it wants to pursue their version of the American dream. Maybe they're getting out of corporate America or they want to become a franchisee, whatever their life circumstance is, um, what's the ideal candidate that you're looking for? And maybe speak to, if there's a lot of folks that own different concepts, they have big operations and they want to expand the portfolio, just speak to what you're looking for and what you would say to those folks. Yeah, sure. So again, you know, in, in talking about being value driven, you know, first and foremost, we're really looking for passionate people who want to win. We like to we like to partner with winners. If you are the type of person that wakes up every day and says, I'm going to be great today or I'm going to win. Or if you're going to be the guy who picks up the video game controller and goes, I'm going to beat you no matter what. then that's already that's the, kind of the first step in the price of admission to be franchise partners uh, with us. Um, because, you know, for us, again, that's it's critically important. We align there. Um, and so, you know, look, we have we have. We have national distribution for both brands. Uh, fortunately, Capriati's was started in Delaware. And so it was a regional brand when I bought it. And, you know, opportunistically, we started to grow and we put together a national distribution system for the contiguous 48 states where everything is pricing is priced in parity. So if you open up in Seattle or you open up in Maine or you open up in Vegas or you open up anywhere, like literally we have the system completely dialed in for that. So what we're really looking for is first and foremost winners. 
Secondly, people who are passionate about our food. So in Capriati's, you've got to love what you're selling and you've got to love what we're selling. And so if you love the food, that's that's very important for us. And third, you know, if you have a demonstrated, you know, at least some success in your in your past through whether it be individual business or in working through with companies, uh, then those are the people that we're really targeting. Obviously, you have to have the financial, you know, wherewithal to do the deal. And so we do multi-unit development in Capriati's exclusively unless you're in a territory that has units already available. So if you went into in Atlanta, Georgia, let's just say, we have uh, stores in Atlanta um, and the market's not in, is not completely sold out yet. So you could open one or two or three uh, or more. But typically in a new market, we would ask for a minimum of three store commitment. And, you know, soup to nuts, Capriati's is probably today, you know, we're about 13 to 1500 square feet is the ideal sweet spot inline retail. And so you're probably looking at, you know, 375 to 450 all in, depending on tenant improvement, uh, you know, credits from your landlord. So you'd be, you either need to be able to be financeable um, and have your, you know, 30 to 40% down or have, you know, somewhere between 150 plus thousand in liquid net worth. And, you know, we're, we're ready to talk to you. Uh, Wing Zone's a little bit different. I think the 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 it's still the same. Um, we're still really tweaking everything, but there's so much white space out there that um, what we're finding is that we're getting a lot of interest in in areas where people are wanting to do like five, seven, ten, right? Like like because there's just so much white space, and and in that particular case, again, as you kind of have a heightened level of what you you know want to do within our brand. Um, obviously we would want to make sure that you have the capability to do it. So in some capacity, you need to demonstrate your, you know, yep. your ability to do that. But again, we, you know, one of the things that we say often around here when we talk friend dev is we really want our franchise partner to accomplish. We want to be your support center to accomplish your goals, right? Through the use of our brands. And so, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, my goal is to be, uh, you know, one of the franchise 200 and I want to be, you know, one of the largest out there then we want to participate in that goal to the extent possible. And so so teaching you the skills that you need to be multi-unit is what we'll focus on with you after you get your business going. Giving you enough territory to have the runway to do that is what we'll, we'll, we'll commit to doing. And so we are here to help you create the vision for your for your you know for your business and for your family we want to be supportive of that and so we do have people who say you know what i'm one and done i'm happy i want to run my shop i want to work in it day to day i want to feel satisfied i want to make a lot of money great there's that opportunity for you here but if you want to get really big and you want to have a huge territory and and, and grow units or acquire units that exists here too yeah i like it and you know i, I think building on that uh, ashley i'd love to ask um, I know you mentioned inline, and I know that there have been some creative ways that brands have been trying to stand out. You know, we we were talking offline about you know our our, our friend in common, uh, Mr. Klein, who's obviously Mr. Jeff Klein, who's based here in Vegas, and uh, I know that you know there is you know a lot of sophistication in the brand and a lot of opportunity between Capriati's and Wing Zone to get into some more traditional, uh, non-traditional rather uh, development. And I'm curious to see how that's uh, being fleshed out. I know that. Ghost kitchens are obviously very hot right now. Sure. And um, there's a lot of brands getting into that. But is there anything, any other thoughts you guys have put into getting creative with the um, massive amount of real estate that is out there right now? So, yeah, and Capriati is really interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, well, actually, when we bought the company, there was one, there was one store operating in a hotel. It was not on strip. It was an off strip property. 
and that turned into two. And so we, we did inherit a model that works for non-trad. So we have a 700 square foot kitchen that, you know, you can operate a Capriati's completely full service. But a few years ago, we evolved that non-trad to include, you know, kind of, I guess, super non-traditional type stuff like stadiums and, and, you know, other kinds of creative, you know, ways to sell the product. And so we did a deal with the minor league baseball team here, the Las Vegas Aviators, and it we only sell cheesesteaks and we have this high performance throughput cheesesteak machine that's in there that's slinging like you know four or five hundred cheesesteaks a, a game and we're smelling up the whole baseball stadium and it's super rad and uh, it worked really well for us and so we decided to kind of see how far we could go with that and so we actually now have uh, one of those carts inside of the T-Mobile arena which which does the Las Vegas Golden Knights, Go Knights um, and now we have three inside Allegiant Stadium in the Raider Stadium. We have one full service and we have two of these carts. And so what we found is these carts are really interesting because we can deliver and we don't it's not like, you know, pre-cooked crap. It's our stuff. It's all high quality. It's all done right there in front of you. So we're not changing that. Um, and, and so you're still getting this extraordinary product, but we're able to do it with such you know, such fast throughput that we're able to really, you know, execute well. And we're in, and Levy specifically, which is the group we're working with who, who have all the spaces, uh, they've indicated to us that they want to continue to, you know, have us kind of grow with them throughout the country because, you know, we're executing that so well. So there is, there is that speaking of ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens and, you know, virtual brands and so forth, we absolutely, you know, quickly adopted that as well. We probably have, a dozen ghost kitchens around the country right now, um, <clears throat> seeing varied levels of success at the moment. But we have a plan to rev those out, um, and we're we we are executing on that plan, and we're seeing you know some really good things. And so, you know, again with Wing Zone, we have we have extra things we can put into the to the ghost kitchen to help rev that model out. And so you could actually become a Capriati franchisee, open a ghost kitchen. And then we ancillarily, we can add one or two of the virtual brands Capriati's has. Plus, now we can add a wing zone to it and a tender zone, which is a virtual brand of wing zone, uh, which serves tenders. And so, you know, all of a sudden you go from zero to five brands in this little 200 square foot virtual kitchen, ghost kitchen. And, you know, now you're starting to make the right money inside of those four walls and it becomes pretty lucrative. Um, so, you know, that that exists in our brands as well. And I do think there's a spot for it. I don't think it's going away. I think, you know, landlords in real estate and, in you know, urban markets and, and, you know, densely populated areas, they've priced out fast food. They've priced out everyone other than retail and and, you know, high dollar, high dollar casual dining and above. And so, you know, we've really kind of shied away from those markets. We really aren't looking. We haven't historically looked for franchisees who want to execute, you know, downtown Los Angeles or L.A. or Chicago or, you know, New York City. But now because of these ghost kitchens, we have franchise partners that have done deals in New York, in Chicago, in L.A. Um, and so we do have restaurants there now and they are executing very well and to a very high standard. And, you know, it's uh, it's working. That's exciting. As we um, we appreciate your time, man. Um, as we move to close here, any other major plans or initiatives throughout the rest of 2021 and beyond that come to mind? Oh, there's lots of them. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, I think that for us right now, we're we're laser focused on really, um, you know, reimaging Wing Zone, getting it 
to the level, you know, to the highest level of getting the box economics to the best that they can be. So that'll be our drive for this year. And then to really go out and grow these brands. But, um, you know, you probably will hear us in the acquisition land again at some point in the future. And I, I'm sure you guys will be back here asking us about some other things. But at this point, we're laser focused on these two and, and have a lot of work to do. And we're super excited about that. Beautiful. I think the last thing, anything that we didn't ask that you think we should have? Uh, no, you guys, you guys are, you guys are really doing it. I think, you know, what I, what I would have liked to have heard you ask it, or at least tell some, some great stories about your, you know, your Vegas trip, but oh, you know, please. there you might know not, that's not happening we'll, on the air. We'll, we'll do that when we turn, when we go off of air. And so we'll cue the outro music, but Ashley Morris, it was an absolute pleasure. You're a rock star, dude. Thanks, and, dude. uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime. Last word. Thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Uh, obviously, really great. We now have an excuse to say we were in Vegas for the weekend, folks. It wasn't just for us to just hang out and just drink. Cheers. Everybody.